Welcome to Archetypes and Anarchy, a podcast created by me, Courtney Floyd, and my Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon in spring of 2018. Episode 24, Part 2, Write Yourself into the Story. In this episode, students will be taking what they've learned about fairy tales and fiction throughout the term, and in the spirit of Shauna McGuire's indexing, literally writing themselves into a fairy tale. To do so, they will be identifying Arne Thompson tale types and archetypes that already fit with some aspect of their lives, whether it's them being the youngest child, or having blonde hair, or owning a pair of glass shoes, uh, whatever the case may be. I suspect that this will be a very rewarding way to close out both our podcast and the term, and I can't wait to hear what students have come up with. Thank you all so much for listening along with us as we went on this intro to fiction podcasting adventure, and from my class to you, we wish you all happily ever after. Hi, my name is Caitlin Bradley, and I'm a student at the University of Oregon. I've created a modernized fairy tale based on the original Cinderella, and I want to share this with you, so here we go. Once upon a time, there was a gentleman who married for the second time, the most evil and cruel woman there ever was. She had, by a former husband, two daughters of her own. They weren't beautiful, nor were their hearts. Their hearts were dark and evil, just like their mother's. He had, likewise by another wife, a sweet and innocent daughter. These traits came from her dear mother. Before her mother got sick, her only daughter who she had slept by her side at the hospital every night. Minutes before she passed away, her daughter crawled into bed and held her hand firmly and said, Mama, I will never let you down. I will remain poised and good if you promise to always protect me from above. Watch down on me from the heavens as you will remain close to my heart. I love you endlessly. With those last words, her mother squeezed her daughter's hand tightly and said, I love you forever and always, and died peacefully. The girl wrote in her diary every day and wept. She locked herself in her room all summer until the school year came around. Fall arrived, and the green leaves disappeared, and the yellow to orange colors became visible. The leaves were given a fall splendor with bright colors, and the happy man gave himself another wife. Months after the ceremonies of the weddings were over, Snow spread a white cloth over their house, and the days grew cold and unbearable. The stepmother began to show her dark and evil colors, and it was just the beginning of a very bad situation for the poor stepchild. The stepmother could not bear the perfections of this pretty girl, because it made her daughters look weak and scrawny. She demanded for this girl to clean the dishes, tables, bathrooms, and the entire house. This house must remain spotless, you stupid child. If you want to be on my good side, you will have to earn it. Onward, you maid, she shouted. This poor girl couldn't address her father because he would have scolded her from his wife's demands. She felt helpless and confused. Every night, she would stay up late and write in her diary for hours on end and pray to her mother for help. Every morning, she would get up at the crack of dawn and complete her chores before school. The evil stepsisters would scream, Cinder Kate, bring me breakfast in bed. Cinder Kate, clean my room. Cinder Kate, pack my backpack for school. The sisters did everything imaginable to hurt her. Not only was she bullied at home, the evil stepsisters made fun of her at school for always looking dusty and dirty, 
The name Cinder Kate fit her perfectly. The sisters lived a simple and easy life. Her mother would go shopping for them every day and spoil them endlessly. With spring around the corner, it meant prom season. Beautiful, elegant dresses and jewelry were ordered and shipped from across the country for the two stepsisters. They had everything imaginable, and it was all the top-notch designer labeled. Cinder Kate was cleaning their rooms when she opened their closet to put clothes away and found two stunning dresses. She opened these closet doors three times every day and would run back into her room and weep and cry all night. Days before the big night, she opened her diary late at night and two pearl earrings fell out. These classy and unique gemstones were for Kate to wear on a special night. The next night, she opened her diary and a pair of simple white heels flew out and onto the old squeaky hardwood floors. It was the night of prom and Kate wanted nothing more than to go to this dance. Months before her mother passed away, she showed her daughter pictures of her senior prom where she met her father. It was an important night because she remembers her mother saying, If you are a good girl and get good grades, I will buy you the most gorgeous and classy long dress for your special night. Her mother was watching over her and saw her eyes tearing up as Kate sat on the floor against her bed. Her diary slipped off her bed and landed onto Kate's lap. She carefully opened it and a stunning white lace dress came out. This was the prettiest in the whole world. The two stepsisters barged into the room and they said to her, Cinder Kate, you must come to our room and clean every crack and crevice while we are at prom tonight. Too bad you don't have a date and can't come. You don't deserve a perfect night that we will be having. The doorbell rang and the stepsisters slammed the door and left Cinder Kate with anger on her face. I wish I could. I wish I could. She could not speak the rest, being interrupted by tears running down her face. She bolted into her room and prayed to her mother. I promise you, Mom, I will be back by midnight and I will not fail to disappoint you. I need to go to my senior prom and find love in my life tonight. Kate immediately pulled out a big box from under her bed and dressed herself with everything her mom gave her. She looked like a princess and jumped with joy. She quickly ordered an Uber, jumped in the car, and headed to the dance. Kate opened the doors of the venue, and bright lights shine on her. She was glistening and sparkling from head to toe. This quickly caught one man's eyes. The man thought, who is that beautiful woman? He rushed to her side, grabbed her hand, and took her to the dance floor. They danced all night, and things got more romantic and intimate when the slow dancing music came on. Kate and this handsome man were in the center of the dance floor and caught the two stepsisters' attention. They knew instantly who it was. Kate's phone alarm kept ringing when the clock struck 11.55 p.m. She had five minutes to get home and hide her prom dress, jewelry, and heels and be in bed. She bolted out of the venue, leaving her phone in the gentleman's hand. This prevented her from ordering an Uber, so she had to sprint home and crawl through her window. She quickly changed into pajamas and shoved her dress to the back of her closet. Seconds after, the evil stepsisters and the stepmother came running in. Yelling and screaming at Cinder Kate, her dad walked in and insisted for everyone to go to bed. He sat at the end of Kate's bed and said to her, I know you went to your senior prom tonight, and I know that was very important to you. You deserved a beautiful night, and I failed to give that to you. Your mother would be disappointed with me. I am sorry, princess. With a knock on her window, the young gentleman who Kate danced with stood with a big smile on his face. She opened the window to find her phone in his hand and roses in the other. Kate's father was overjoyed with happiness that his little girl found the man of her dreams at senior prom. She forever gave her father with all her heart and wanted him to always love her. She was taken the next day by the handsome gentleman to a lovely dinner. He thought she was more beautiful than before and a few days after they started dating and the rest is history.
happily ever after. Okay, now I'm going to discuss my afterthoughts and why I created this fairy tale. When I wrote this fairy tale, I didn't want it to be based on my life. Instead, I wanted to play around with a made-up story and put myself into another situation. I wanted to keep the main aspects of the original Cinderella story, including the stepmother, the two stepsisters, and the prince. I wanted the main character to encounter obstacles that would prevent her from having a happy and simple life, because that is an important part of the original fairy tale. In my life, my parents have a strong relationship, and I can't imagine losing either one of them at such a young age. Nor can I imagine having a stepmother in this situation. Some of my friends have undergone difficult encounters with step-parents, and the story allowed me to create a life like that. I also don't have step-siblings or step-sisters, which made it fun to write about. It forced me to gain a new perspective on life and appreciate things more. With this story being modern, I wanted to use prom as a destination because it is relatable to most girls specifically. I have always loved the Cinderella fairy tale because it is simply a classic story. Every girl wants to be a princess who in the end gets a prince. This assignment allowed me to create a modernized romantic fairy tale that is realistic and relatable to my audience. As I said from my wrap-up podcast, whether we read fiction or write it, we change our beliefs and it shapes us. It allows us to better understand other people and cultures, which I truly did for me when I wrote this story, because I put myself in someone else's position. My spinning story strengthened my creative side and gave me the opportunity to speak directly to the audience through a personal level. A lot can be accomplished through breaking fiction. For example, I got to interpret the world through different lenses and see what life can be like if I encounter these obstacles I created for myself. After taking this course, I found it important for these ancient stories to be repeated again and again. It allows me to repurpose new stories, shedding light on a new, modern adaption brought by new perspectives. The development of my fairy tale gave me energy and a whole new understanding to play with. Ultimately, I got to escape the world and dive deeper to discover more about myself and others. Hi, my name's Megan. I'm a sophomore at the University of Oregon, and this is my story called Cherry Red. Once there was a mother who told a story to her child growing up about a lady who dreamt of having a child with hair as dark as night, skin kissed by the sun, and lips as red as cherry. As the child grew up, she realized the lady in her story was her mother, and she was the child her mother always dreamt of having. Looking in the mirror, she realized she embodied everything her mother ever wanted. They named her Cherry Red. Her mother died a few years ago, and her father never fully recovered, or so she thought. Seeing her dad marry someone else was really hard for Cherry, but all she wanted was for her father to be happy. Thinking of how her mother would handle the situation, she planted a big smile on her face and headed down the stairs to face her new stepmother. Everyone's eyes followed Cherry, and this set her stepmother, and this set her stepmother off. She found herself infatuated with Cherry's beauty, which only made her more angry. Heading to college was something she was truly looking forward to. Although her stepmother is beautiful, she had this weird obsession with beauty and Cherry needed to escape her constant stares. Closing her eyes for closing her eyes for bed, she could hear her stepmother's small voice saying, "Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in, in this world is the prettiest of them all?" Weirdly, the mirror answered, "You are above all the prettiest woman in the world." A mirror talking? It couldn't be. Thinking it's all a dream, she fell sound asleep. Packing up the car the next day, she realized what a relief it was to be leaving. Cherry settled, 
settled into her single dorm and decided to go out with some friends she met on her floor. Meanwhile, back at home, her stepmother turns to the mirror and asks, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this world is the prettiest of them all? It answered, You, of course, are pretty, but Cherry Red is a thousand times prettier than you. Enraged at the mirror's response, she screams so loud the birds in the trees run from fright. Envy pouring from her body, she finds herself plotting a way to destroy Cherry forever. Overhearing her husband talk to Cherry, she finds out Cherry is going to a party tonight and plots the perfect way to rid her life of sweet Cherry. Cherry heads out for her first party and finds herself excited to see where the night goes. As she walks in, she immediately grabs the attention of everyone. Her targeter becomes overwhelmed with Cherry's beauty and couldn't hurt and couldn't hurt her, so he decided to approach her in hopes she she doesn't think he's crazy for what he's about to say. Cherry was immediately attracted to this man, and when they got to, to talking, he told her all about her stepmother and her plans to get rid of Cherry. He took a lock of Cherry's hair and told her to run away where her stepmother can't find her. Cherry didn't think twice and ran as fast as she could. She realized she was lost, and she grew very scared. She was in the middle of the forest and only saw one small cabin in sight. She knocked to see if anyone was home, but no one was there. She twists the knob and opened the door. In the house, there was a fire going and beds to sleep in. Exhaustion overtook her, and she found herself falling asleep to the most in the most comfortable bed she could find. Seven muffled voices brought Cherry out of her deep sleep. Beginning to realize what's going on, she sat upright, and her eyes landed on seven, seven males. All eyes staring back at her with confused expressions on their faces. They ask, what is your name, and what are you doing here? Trying to remember if last night was real or a dream, Cherry answered, I don't know. I had this weird feeling, this weird dream of a man telling me that my stepmother is trying to kill me, and I started running as fast as I could. Realizing it wasn't a dream, that it was all real, she started panicking. Sitting in front of her was seven fraternity guys trying to make sense of what was going on. The boys and Cherry decided it was safer for her to stay with them until they knew she was safe. They tried to keep her inside, but she wanted to help around the house, so she started cleaning. When the boys left for school, they told Cherry to not leave the house just in case her stepmother found her. Meanwhile, the targeter gave Cherry's stepmother the lock of Cherry's hair and left. With an evil grin on her face, she said, Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who in this world is the prettiest of them all? The mirror responded, You, my master, are very pretty, but Cherry Red is far prettier than you. How? How can that be? She's dead. The mirror responded, She's with seven fraternity boys in their cabin in the woods. She's very much alive. Completely fooled by the targeter, she realized if she wants something done, she's going to have to do it herself. So she set off to find her dear, sweet Cherry. Cherry began, grow, began to grow very fond of the boys. She helped cook, clean, and give them girl advice. As much as she appreciated them, they appreciated her more. She made their house much more lively and fun. They began to realize there is this magical draw to Cherry that was more than just about her beauty, but also about her lovable personality. They looked at her like a sister and were overwhelmed with the need to protect her. After finding where Cherry was staying, she decided she needed a game plan to fool Cherry. She decided to pose as a Girl Scout, hoping she'll buy one of her delicious cookies. She knocked on the cabin door, and the beautiful Cherry answered. Fighting back the urge to strangle her, she offered her up the cookies. Would you like to buy a Girl Scout cookie? 
Cherry not able to resist what she thought was a sweet young girl, she happily obliged. Cherry took the cookies into the cabin and opened them. One bite and she instantly fell to the floor. By the time the boys came home, they didn't know what to do. When they finally came to their senses, they called an ambulance where she was put on life support. Never leaving her bedside, the boys grew sad, realizing this might be the end of Cherry Red. A few days passed, then a week passed, and they grew hopeless. Meanwhile, Cherry's stepmother is living happily, a happy life, knowing Cherry is long gone. People were going in and out of the hospital. A boy named Price King was there visiting a friend who was sick, but instantly stopped in his tracks when he laid eyes on Cherry Red. Not able to hold back, he walked into her room. All he could do was stare at her. Hoping she would wake up, hoping she would wake up, he did the only thing he could think of doing in that moment. A sweet and innocent kiss and hope she gets better. The moment their lips came together, Cherry's heart monitor began to beep. Taken back by Price, by this, Price just stood there. Cherry's eyes fluttered open and landed on a beautiful guy she had never met before. Hi, was the only thing she could say. With hopes to save herself, Cherry snuck into her old house and broke the mirror, hoping that would be the end of her evil stepmother. Cherry would never have to worry about being hurt again. She decided to live with her favorite seven guys and date the man that saved her life. All said and done, Cherry lived a happy life full of love and laughter. The end. So, if you haven't figured it out already, I tried to tell a story, a Snow White story. For me, it was important to stick with the archetypes of the hair, the skin, and the lips, but I really wanted to modernize that. So, instead of quote-unquote, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as wood in this frame. I changed it to a child with hair as dark as night, skin kissed by the sun, and lips as red as cherry. I think this archetype is an important one because it gives us a clear sense of what snow white, but in this case, cherry red, looks like. Another important archetype was the mirror. For the most part, I wanted to keep it the same, but in the end, I wanted cherry to destroy it. I think although her knight in shining armor brought her back to life, in the end I wanted her to save herself from her stepmother and get rid of the mirror. Did, getting rid of the mirror did that. I think the hardest part of all was finding a way to transform the seven dwarves because they play such an instrumental role in protecting Cherry. In a way to modernize it, I changed it from seven dwarves to seven fraternity boys. I thought it was kind of a funny way to put a twist on it. I did this because I put Cherry in a college situation, so... I wanted to capture the full experience of college. I think another hard part was finding a way for her stepmother to quote-unquote kill her. While Terry was on life support, this was the easiest way to achieve it in a way that I felt like indexing would because I feel like it's indexing is like very modern and I wanted to make it in that type of situation. So my overall goal was for Terry to be smart and her own savior. I didn't want to make her naive because who wants a naive woman like I feel like nowadays it's all about empowering women and so I want her to be strong I wanted her to come across as someone who wants to do good and be her own knight in shining armor although Price King brings her back to life she ultimately saves herself I bent these archetypes because it me because to me it's important to paint women in a strong way by bending these archetypes it made Cherry look independent self-sufficient but also she was able to rely on her friends for protection. And that is my podcast. Thank you. Hi, my name is Austin Tamagno, and you are now listening to my final podcast for the term.
this podcast is for assignment, writing yourself into the story. Today I will be talking about my very own fairy tale story that I've created and written for the class. The name of this story is, in italics, Charlie in the Magic Shoes. This story consists of archetypes and themes that have been learned and talked about thoroughly throughout this term. This modern day fairy tale was designed to look similar to the descriptions of fairy tales from the novel Indexing by Sean McGuire. Types of archetypes you should be looking for, out for when I read this story are the objects, characters, imaginations, conflict, and the setting of the story that ultimately revealed the true theme and meaning of this story. I hope you enjoy listening to this story. Let's begin. Charlie and the Magic Shoes by Austin Tamagno. A long time ago, deep in the woods of the ever-grown forest, lies an enchanted garden that no man shall enter. This garden is no ordinary garden, but carries with it a magical object that brings supernatural power to the person in control of this object. Behold, a pair of light golden running shoes in the middle of the garden that is the, that is, that is the sacred and guards the magic of the garden. With these shoes, a man can run fast and far into the forest, where no man shall catch him, and the man with the shoes will never get tired. The man in the shoes stays forever young and can marry the finest woman in the land. But with these benefits of wearing the shoes comes a terrible curse. He who wears the shoes must never leave the forest and can rarely leave the garden. The shoes are well guarded and untouched until one day a young man stumbles upon them accidentally. So let's get further in. Once upon a time, in a forest full of life, plants, animals, and adventure on a warm summer day, Charlie, a young man who is the youngest of three, is playing catch with his older brothers. Since Charlie is the youngest, his brothers pick on him all the time and make him do all the chores and find out and find all of the balls they play with if one of them loses it on, in the bushes. One day, the eldest brother watches the ball as far as he could over Charlie and deep into the forest on purpose for Charlie to spend extra time looking for the ball and ultimately missing dinner. As Charlie is in search for the ball, he ends up finding to what appears a moving bush. Charlie's puzzled and cries, Hello, is anyone there? Is anyone there? Charlie sees the ball and reaches down into the bushes to grab it. As Charlie is retrieving the ball, the bush grabs him and throws him into the garden. Charlie is so frightened, all he can think of is, his own, is to scream, Help! Help! Somebody help me! Charlie regains control and balance after being thrown into the garden and begins to explore the enchanted unknown setting. There are roses of different colors like green, blue, white, and red. The flowers in the gates and the sunflowers were enormous and beautiful. The area looked as though it had never been touched by anyone. As Charlie gets to the middle of the garden, he approaches a beautiful white and gold gazebo that is shining perfectly under the sun through a tiny opening from the trees of the evergreen forest. There, before Charlie's eyes, are the golden shoes. Charlie was so amazed, he screamed, Wow! What would I ever do to take these shoes home? 
Just wait until my brothers and my mom find out about this. Charlie grabs the shoes and without putting a single inch of effort into putting on the shoes, the shoes suddenly attach to his feet and are stuck to him. All of a sudden, the forest becomes dark and the evil laughters and voices begin to wander the garden. Charlie is terrified and when he turns around, he sees a dark, mysterious, dangerous, and scary creature standing behind him. The creature cries, Who is there that has trespassed on my property? Charlie replies, Why, this is Charlie of the Evergreen Forest. I mean you no harm. I was just looking for my ball that my brothers threw over the bushes of this beautiful garden. Please don't hurt me. Lightning crashes and the beast says, No one enters my land. I am the sorcerer and the guard of the shoes, and no one shall take them away from me. Charlie, feeling in danger, begins running away from the sorcerer and sprints as fast as he could. Sorcerer, a very fast runner, begins to gain on Charlie, but since Charlie is wearing the shoes, he has the advantage and has the motive to keep running away. What Charlie doesn't realize is that he can't leave the forest with the shoes on, and he comes to a complete stop. The sorcerer takes Charlie to his prison and keeps him there for eternity. While Charlie's in prison, he meets a beautiful girl by the name of Naomi. Her blonde hair and blue eyes and great personality draws Charlie to get close to her from the moment he lays eyes on her. Sooner or later, they, came up with a, they come up with a plan to leave the prison and escape from the trenches of the sorcerer of the Atlantic Garden. They break through the bars with knives used for eating and begin to run for the exit. The sorcerer realizes their plan to escape and stands before them at the exit, hungry to still get the shoes and kill the two lovers. Naomi, scared for her life, stands behind the strong and courageous Charlie, who isn't afraid of the sorcerer anymore and will do anything for the safety of Naomi. The sorcerer and Charlie fight to the death, and Charlie ultimately sprints in circles around the sorcerer, ultimately killing them both and releasing Naomi from the garden. The curse is broken since the sorcerer and the first retriever of the golden shoes have been killed, and Naomi leaves with the shoes to return to Charlie's family in remembrance. Sobbing in tears, Naomi approaches Charlie's family with the shoes and falls to the ground in front of the mom. The family realizes right away the situation of their brother slash son and mourn for his death. Five years later, the golden shoes are still on his shelf in his room. The crazy thing is, when Naomi gave the shoes to Charlie's family, she felt like she was in prison for years, but ultimately, it had only been one hour since Charlie and his brothers had completed playing catch and dinner was just beginning. Naomi moves into Charlie's family, moves in with Charlie's family in their home, and they all live happily ever after, forever remembering what Charlie did for Naomi and his family. The end. In analysis, the short fairy tale story has multiple archetypes that correlate to the book indexing. This story is very similar to Rapunzel in a way how the archetypes and the characters play a huge role in revealing the theme of the story. For example, the golden shoes represent the youth of the young, the youth of the garden and the youth of the sorcerer who is guarding the shoes and the garden from any intruders. This is a great example of Gothel and how she guarded the gar her garden with all the she that with all that she had. The shoes also represent a cursed object and a desire that comes with heavy sacrifices. Once Charlie retrieves the shoes, the sorcerer lost all of his power and the garden began to get old and not so fresh. 
This is just like the garden when Rapunzel leaves after leaving with the prince, leaving Gothel all alone. Charlie represents the prince, and Naomi is sort of like Rapunzel, that the sorcerer already has locked up. This tale involves the two lovers who fall in love after being captured from the sorcerer and work together to share their love and leave the evil and dark garden where the two have been trapped for a very long time, or what they thought was a long time. Also in the story, character development occurs with Charlie between when he first meets the sorcerer and the second time he faces him. He goes from a scared, wimpy kid to a confident and courageous warrior that would do anything for love. This is very similar to when Rapunzel met the prince because Rapunzel would do anything for Gothel and was very innocent in terms of adolescence and being with another man. But when Rapunzel soon learns what it's like to be in love and to leave with the prince in a kingdom, she stands up for herself and tells Gothel that she wants to leave the castle. Meeting Naomi in the prison was the climax of the story, ultimately creating a bond that could never be broken and is, and is heartbreaking when they make sacrifices for one another. Another big object in the story is at the ball at the beginning of the film, or of the story. The ball that the eldest brother throws into the bushes creates an ongoing conflict right away at the beginning of the story. Also, it leads Charlie to the garden where he meets the sorcerer in the shoes, which is conflict number two. The ball isn't necessarily cursed, but it brings bad news and a twist in the story for the protagonist and the adventure he goes on. The final part of the story that ties in with the, with the book is Charlie's two older brothers. They remind me of the evil stepsisters in Snow White and Cinderella, and they make them do all the chores and get no benefits. These events lead Charlie to the magic shoes, a similar situation to when Cinderella finds the glass slipper. Instead of Cinderella finding the prince, Charlie finds a beautiful woman in the prison, and instead of living happily ever after, Charlie perishes for life of his beloved, um, perishes for the life of his beloved one and his family. The theme of this story is that the protagonist will do anything for the peace and happiness of his loved ones. Also, villains play a huge role in character development and ultimately make the story possible. They are so heavily involved in the climax of the story and creating plot twists that the audience won't see coming. Well, I hope you all enjoyed listening to my final podcast for the term. I hope everyone has a great rest of the school year and a great summer. Uh, Professor Floyd, thank you so much for teaching me how to create a podcast and making this course one to remember. I've learned so much in this class that will help me later in life, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for all. Um, thank you for turn, tuning into my podcast, everyone. My name is Austin Tamagno. Take care. Everyone have a great day. The Ocean by Ashley Alameda It was 1 a.m. and Stephanie found herself staring at the ceiling of her worn-down dorm bed. It was the dreary nights like these that made her think of everything she left at home. She often finds herself thinking back on high school and the torture she had to endure. When memories like these popped back into her head, she found herself craving the ocean and the release of dopamine rushing through her body as the waves crashed against her back. She laid there for another ten minutes before jumping out of her bed and throwing on her bathing suit. She ran out of her room and jumped in her Toyota Corolla. She raced over to her hideaway at the beach and jumped into the water as fast as she could. The crashing sound of the waves, paired with the stillness of the night air, calmed all of her nerves and relaxed her mind. After thirty minutes of playing with the waves of the ocean, she found herself about three hundred feet out 
floating on her back. The full moon was slowly moving along the night sky when all of a sudden a flash of white appeared and was gone within the next second. Stephanie's heart raced and she swam as fast as she could back to shore. She quickly jumped into her car and sped back to her dorm. As she went to bed, something felt a little different inside of her, but she ignored it as best as she could and got some sleep. The next morning, she woke up and immediately ran to the bathroom to throw up. She wiped her mouth, but thought nothing of it when, and went down to the beach for surf practice. As usual, she got there earlier than everyone else and jumped in the water to warm up. As soon as she jumped in, however, she felt her legs tingling, and as she looked down, she saw a brown, scaly tail where her legs should be. Stephanie naturally freaked out and started screaming underwater. At this point, she expected to swallow water and start choking, but she noticed that she was fine and the screaming underwater didn't affect her at all. As time passed, she calmed down and really started to assess what was going on. She swam to shore and laid on the beach for a couple hours, drying her body off and thinking about what she was going to do next. As the sun soaked up the water molecules on her body, her tail began to disappear and legs started to reform. She felt every scale being ripped off of her and turned into skin again. She wanted to scream, but held it in so she wouldn't attract attention to herself. Once her legs were completely back and she was able to walk again, she quickly got up and began to gather her things. She noticed one of the guys on the team, Cooper, had just arrived and she went into a panic. I can't go into the water now. They will see my tail. I need to get an excuse out of practice. As Cooper walked up to the shore where Stephanie was, she sighed in annoyance, already expecting the dirty jokes and remarks that were going to come out of his mouth. Hey, Stephanie, what bathing suit do you have in store for us today? Cooper said with a smirk. Stephanie groaned and raised her middle finger up in response. As the other guys began to file in, Stephanie desperately searched her mind for some excuse about why she couldn't go out in the ocean today. She noticed her coach's car pull up in the parking lot and quickly ran up to it and away from all the stairs of the other guys. Hey coach, I just wanted to let you know that I can't surf today, but I came to watch. I woke up with an upset stomach and don't feel well enough to get out there. Her coach looked at her with an unbelievable face and questioned, You have come to every practice and surf no matter how sick you are. What's different this time? Stephanie mumbled some response that was obviously another excuse and walked down to the beach where everyone was. She gathered all the guys together to begin the day. Alright guys, stay Championship is tomorrow at 10 a.m. Be there at 9 a.m. so we can begin preparing for our sets and get our head in the games. Today, I want Cooper, Joey, Matt, and Cole to go out first, while Mark, Luke, Andrew, and Sam stay on the shore and critique. After about three sets each, switch who critiques who. The guys looked at her confused, and Matt asked, Stephanie, are you not going out today? Status tomorrow. Aren't you going to want to get some waves in? Stephanie looked at him in his expectant eyes and said, Not today. I am not feeling too well, but I will be better by tomorrow and ready to compete. All the guys looked at her confused and worried, but nobody questioned her. She had an authoritative demeanor, and whatever she said went, so nobody felt it appropriate to question her decisions. She sat there and watched all the guys out on the waves and wanted so badly to be able to join them, but she sat there for the whole hour and a half and just watched. After practice was over, she gathered all the guys up, said her last few words about the state championship, and got back in her car to go home. As she got home, she laid on her bed and tried to think of how she was supposed to compete tomorrow when she couldn't even touch water. With no ideas popping into her head, she went to her desk to try to do homework and get her mind off the pressing matter. When Alicia, her roommate, walked in, Stephanie was so focused she didn't even notice. Alicia handed Stephanie her Starbucks iced coffee and Stephanie mindlessly grabbed a cup 
with condensed water on the outside. She slowly started to feel the painful transformation and realized what was happening. She dropped the coffee on the ground and ran to the bathroom before Alicia could see anything. She quickly looked around the bathroom and grabbed the hair dryer that was sitting on the countertop. She dried her legs as fast as she could to try to counteract the transformation. The few scales that had shown up started to fade away and she breathed a sigh of relief, finally feeling like she could tackle this thing. She slowly walked out of the bathroom and looked at Alicia's confused expression. Stephanie laughed and just said, sorry, my stomach has been weird all day. Alicia ignored the situation and they both went back to their previous activities with no questions asked. As Stephanie went to bed that night, she realized that she was going to have to reveal her secret to everyone or give up a sport when her team needed her. The next morning, Stephanie walked down to the crowded beach, bathing suit in hand and ready to try and compete with the rest of the team. No matter what, she did not want to live a life of secrecy and didn't care if people found out she was a mermaid. As the guys got there, she noticed they were talking about some hybrid creature that was all over the news. All I know is that if I was one of those scientists people, the first thing I would do is put, put a bullet in its head and rip it open to start investigating, Cooper remarked. All the guys laughed in response and shook their head in agreement. Stephanie looked at them in awe and realized she could never tell her secret. Nobody would understand and she would become a science, science experiment to everyone. They would run tests on her and torture her in the name of science. She quickly ran to her car and ran away from the screams of her teammates. She drove a couple miles down until she found a secluded spot on the beach and quickly jumped into the water. She felt the pain in her legs, but this time she ignored it and focused on her swimming. Her kicking quickly turned into a pumping as her legs morphed into the tail. Once the tail was completed, she began to pick up speed and she suddenly became more comfortable in the water than she was on the land. She swam and swam until her mind and worries were clear. Once she stopped swimming, she went up to the surface to see where she was, and all she could see was a tiny little island. She quickly swam to the island and started to panic, realizing she had no idea where she was. As she looked around the desolate, barren land, she realized she was finally alone. She was finally away from the bullies of her high school and from the con continuous stares of her teammates. She was away from the worries of everyone finding out that she was a mermaid. Her worries quickly vanished and she found herself more relaxed than ever before. She was finally away from the judgment and scrutiny of the people around her and for the first time she could remember, she felt like she could really breathe. She laid down on the warm sand and looked up into the sky. She just laid there, breathing and smiling. Finally, she could smile without forcing it. Finally, she could breathe. So that was my fairy tale. Um, it's just about a girl who turns into a mermaid through this like weird moon thing that happened um so just talking a little bit about the archetypes that I changed um I wanted to make a mermaid fairy tale because I feel like they're very typical in um like in uh past fairy tales I feel like usually the plot of a fairy tale for a mermaid is very um standard and usually you have this girl who's like pretty not very smart um, and her whole goal is to, like, find the guy and get married to this guy and fall in love, and, like, they're all pretty standard. So a couple ways that I changed, uh, one of the first archetypes I changed is this fact that, like, the beauty of it all, like, I made sure that I made, you know, my main character, Stephanie, was bullied in high school, so, like, she's not your typical, like, pretty girl, so it's not all about, like, the her beauty, it's more about, like, her herself and, like, her, like, strength. 
Um, I also made sure to make her um, more independent. It's not, this story isn't about men. It's not about her finding some guy that she can, like, fall in love with. So I made sure to make that very obvious. Yeah, she's not, like, a ditzy girl whose goal is to be with a man. She's, like, independent and just wants to be happy and get away from, like, the stairs of society, basically. So it kind of just tells us a story about um, society and these days and, like, how people are very harsh on each other and harsh on, like, very materialistic things and, like, someone is willing to live on a desolate island all alone just to get away from all of that. So it's not a coming-of-age story also. Typically, one of the main archetypes I we talked about a lot in this class was that a coming-of-age story. So it's not a coming-of-age story. I made sure to change that. She didn't need anything or learn anything from this. She just... It just showed kind of, like, her empowerment and, like, that she could do things on her own and that she could be on her own and be happy. So those are just a couple of the archetypes that I changed. had a lot of fun in this class this year. Really enjoyed learning about different archetypes and fairy tales um, and, like, how people change and how it changes over time. And I look forward to talking about fairy tales again soon. Archetypes and Anarchy is produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and researched and written by my spring 2018 Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon. Our theme music is Music Box by The Underscore Orchestra, and our closing music is Wolf, It's Really Rather Rad by High Arches, both of which are available under a Creative Commons license at the Free Music Archive. The sound of the wolf that lives in the woods That comes to my back door from time to time Shake the hand of the sun that burns above Reaches down over everyone Got your jackal and heart, your monster inside Pouring water over your fire I incurl us a soul that I need to go Back into the woods, I'm told Not a single living thing needs to be left out You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself There's a spider web that can access Connected by the number nine can you think in visions and breathe in rhythms? Dream an ocean over your lips. It brings a deeper meaning, a powerful feeling. Brings us the myths we're told. And it's only clean water that supports the things that we're trying to grow. Not a single living cell needs to be left out. Find in the garden what's missing in yourself Have you seen the way the speaker makes a pattern in the sand When the frequency is just right, oh man, it's really rather rare